Good morning. Happy Sabbath. Let us pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity that we have to worship you on this Sabbath day, to reflect on Scripture. We thank you for this reminder every seven days of your recreative power in our lives. And we pray now that as we pause for a few moments to reflect on Holy Scripture, that you would speak to our hearts. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This is Sabbath school time. Amen. So we want to have a study on our thoughts, and I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of James, James chapter 1 and verse 15. Here James is describing the anatomy of temptation. The anatomy of what? I know you've been sitting for a long time, everybody, and the blood is pooling, but try to stay with me this morning. So this is talking about the anatomy of temptation. In James chapter 1 and verse 15, the Bible says, Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. James here is using an analogy of how temptation works. So here it is. It's analogous to conception and birth. Follow me. So the egg comes. Just because the egg is there doesn't mean you're having a baby. Praise the Lord. Right? So the egg comes. And in order for there to be conception, there has to be something that takes place. The egg is there. Conception And basically, from there, the natural process takes place, and you have the baby. Now, here it is. The egg, the temptation. Follow me now. The temptation comes. Now, have you ever had a thought enter your mind? You don't know where it came from. Maybe the devil put it there. Maybe it's something from your past. Just because the thought enters your head doesn't mean that you're culpable. Praise God. But there is that gap, that synapse, that microsecond in which, ah, consent. And you know what that moment is? It's it's like that split second, that synapse in which you're like, oh, let me think about that a little bit more. Let me enjoy that thought. In that microsecond, conception has taken place. Now, some of us play this game where we're like, you know what? I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to think it. We get kind of legalistic on those in that area. I'm not going to actually go through the actions I'm just going to enjoy this thought. Nobody knows what I'm actually thinking in my mind. You ever play this game before in your head? And you're like, you know, I'm just going to go there and imagine every detail of this fantasy in my mind, in my head. We call that television. Netflix, Amazon Prime, YouTube. Oh, I'm not going to participate in fornication, adultery, Lying, murder, cheating, I'm just going to watch it. 
and call that entertainment. What's well, taking place right here. So when we talk about our thoughts, that's where sin actually begins. Right there. Sometimes we're like, oh, I don't know what happened. I'm having a baby. The reality is, likely you've thought it through in your mind a hundred times. You've actually vis visualized it. You've fantasized about it. You've gone through it over and over again in your head, and before long, it just comes out your fingertips. That's what James is bringing out. Temptation is analogous to conception and birth. And so the way that you beat sin is not at birth. Now, I'm not saying this morning that just because you've conceived, you're like, oh, might as well do it. You can ask for forgiveness. But the key to victory, the key to overcoming, is in that secure area of that inner sanctum of your mind. Think TSA. Don't you love flying nowadays after 9-11? You go through, there's a secure area. There's certain things that are never allowed in a certain part of the airport. And you need to think that about right here. There are certain things that should never be allowed in here. And if it enters that secure area, it needs to be put out. So follow me. As we talk about the nature of our thoughts and how we deal with temptation in our minds, we want to talk about defense, and then we want to talk about offense. What do we want to talk about? Defense and offense. So in here, think secure area. There are certain things that should not be allowed in here because the Bible says if you lust after a woman, you're guilty of adultery. In other words, Jesus says you can't play games with God. Once you have that consent in your mind where you're like, ah, oh, Jesus says you're guilty. You hate a brother, you're guilty of murder. So the key is when that thought enters that secure area, what do you do? Defense. Very important. Number one, under the heading of defense, you need to give God authorization to help you. Authorization is a powerful thing. There are rules in the great controversy. And one of the primary things that you can give God is permission for your life. Andrew Park appreciated that, canvassing. I canvassed for a number of years, and there's an unspoken rule when you go to the door. You knock on the door, and they open the door, and you stand there. And I would stand in the cold, in the rain, hot, summer, you name it. And it didn't matter whether that person gave me food, water. They can give me $100. They can give me $1,000. But I would stand on the threshold of that door until I heard those wonderful words, come on in. And until I heard that, I would stand on the threshold. And one of the most powerful things that you can tell God is come on in. Consent. I pray that you've given God consent this morning. Amen? Authorization in your life. Consent is powerful. Because there is this unspoken rule 
in the battle between Christ and Satan that the one thing that God has given you that you can't delegate to somebody else is authorization. Now, there's something called secondary authorization. You can give consent for somebody else. And we can see indications of this in Mark chapter 2, where the paralytic is let down before Jesus by his four friends. And the Bible says, when Jesus saw their faith, not just his faith, but the collective faith of his friends. In other words, when you pray for your brother, for your son or your daughter that is outside of the church, it gives God the papers to move above and beyond what he would normally be able. Do you believe that? That's intercessory prayer. And God says, Gabriel, go. We've got authorization. We can see evidence in Scripture where the devil is contending against God moving above and beyond what he's normally able. In the book of Jude, you see that Michael is about to raise Moses from the dead. And who is standing there? Satan. And Jesus says, the Lord rebuke you. So you can see that there's this battle in the great controversy. You can't beat your thoughts on your own. And in the book Steps of Christ, it says you cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity and causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. But you need not despair. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is consent. You can't beat this thing on your own. You can't control your thoughts. So the first thing you can do is say, Lord, do this every day. Say, Lord, I give you my will. And she says that God will then work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Authorization. Number one point in defense. The other thing is, number two, be armed and ready with Scripture. In other words, when that thought comes, going back to that analogy of James, when that thought enters your mind and it enters that secure area, you should be armed. Now, I live in the South, and I also lived in Alaska. I remember in Alaska, this one brother was sitting in church, and his coat kind of went up. My wife said, that brother's packing. Come to find out, everybody was packing in Alaska. You didn't even know their license. Everybody was armed. Now, I'm not recommending that. It's between you and God, but I'm just saying, look, you need to be armed with Scripture. So when that temptation comes in there, it should be like, I'm talking about, except it's with the text. And it should be like, the text comes, and I'd have a text. One of my texts is from the book of James. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he's tried, he shall receive a crown of life. Look, you can't do it any better than Jesus can. So when that temptation comes, don't just sit there. Be armed. Have a passage. It is written. Don't just sit there and be like, oh, what do I do with this thought? That thought is a microsecond away from sin. And you need to be ready with the text. I remember one individual, he was telling uh, his testimony 
of how he was addicted to pornography. And because he had watched so much porn, that was his thoughts constantly. Now, I would be naive to assume that there's individuals in this room, that there aren't individuals in this room that have that same struggle. It has become ubiquitous and the scourge of modern society. They did a study trying to find an 18-year-old that had not been exposed to pornography to do a baseline study of the effects. They could not find one. Not one. It is so accessible. And so this man was struggling with impurity in his mind, in his thoughts. Even though he had given up porn, all of those tapes were running in his head constantly. And so what did he do? He got these three by five cards. And every time those impure thoughts would come in his head, he would quote the text. And you know what he said? It was like magic. He said, we don't believe in that. That's power in the word. He said he'd quote the passage it would go away. It'd come back. He'd quote the passage. It would go away. And through a constant struggle of quoting the passage, it cleaned up his head. And he's a minister of the gospel today. It works. But you need to be intentional. You need to be proactive. When that temptation comes, quote the text. It is written. We cannot let these thoughts continue in our minds. Number one, give your will to God. Number two, be armed and ready with Scripture. Number three, have a plan for avoiding temptation. If you know that sitting on a Saturday night when you're feeling sorry for yourself, in your room, with your computer, avoid that situation. If you know that hanging out with a group of people is going to lead you down a path of temptation. Avoid it. Have a plan. Get rid of the internet. Have an accountability partner. Journal. I have a, a ritual where every day I journal to create self-awareness. And sometimes I'm like, no big decisions today. It's going to be a bad one. So these are things that you can do. Have a plan for avoiding temptation. Starve the flesh and feed the spirit. There are certain things that we put in our bodies that causes us to go down a path and feeds our carnal nature. After we accept Christ... The carnal nature still remains. There are certain foods that feed our sensuality. There's a great study and, and sermon by the cruisers. Highly recommend it. Come to find out, I didn't really like what they were saying when they hit my kimchi, but that's all right. That's all right. And uh, they were quoting from the Spirit of Prophecy talking about how spicy food. I mean, this was amazing. This was amazing. Did you know that spicy food, watch their video, spicy food can actually heighten sensuality. It can bring out the carnal nature. Spirit of prophecy, science has proven it. Also, it can, it can bring out anger. There, there are certain foods that bring out the worst in us. So after we accept Christ, we need to do our part in cooperating with heaven so that we're not feeding the carnal nature. 
There's something that I did a number of years ago, about six years ago, when my son was born, I started fasting once a week. Now, this is descriptive, not prescriptive. Please consult your doctor, fine print. But I was going through something in my church, and the Lord said, I want you to fast once a week for 24 hours. Descriptive, not prescriptive. By the way, that's something that I do. You don't have to do it. That's between you and God. And I was reading through the Beatitudes, and I noticed something. Jesus says, when you pray. He didn't say, if you pray. He also said, when you fast. Not if you fast. Now, I recognize that we're living in a modern civilization in the 21st century where we're allergic to anything that has a semblance of doing any merit or having any merit related to our salvation. Now, I don't fast in order to be saved, and I don't feel guilty if I don't do it, but I've found tremendous benefits. I remember when I first started doing it, the 24-hour fast is the toughest one, and the way I do it, I fast from breakfast to breakfast. And, oh, man, that first 24 hours, all I can think about, Brother Randy, was rice. <laughs> I'm Asian. Oh, broccoli sounded pretty good by that time, just with a little salt. And you realize that we're nothing but dust. Ellen White indicates that there's a strong correlation between the physical and the spiritual nature. In other words, what happens in the body affects your soul. And so we have this thing of fasting, and I, I realized that it created a, a, a more a sense of dependence upon God. Because after missing just three meals, I feel about, I'm about to keel over. Now, I'm dramatic. But the reality is that when we fast, it brings a heightened awareness of our mortality. And that we, without God, are nothing. And that influences our prayers. Notice that Jesus, when it came to the demoniac, he said, this one doesn't come out, but by much prayer and fasting. And there might be individuals in this room that are struggling with addictions and habits in your life that are destroying you. Jesus' counsel to you may apply. This one doesn't come out except by much prayer and fasting. Give your will to God. Be armed and ready with Scripture. Starve the flesh and feed the Spirit. Last but not least, under defense, be on guard in your downtime. Saturday night for Seventh-day Adventists, I used to live in Adventist communities and it was amazing, the debauchery that would happen on Saturday night after the sun would go down. Oh, Sabbath is over. Let my hair down. Kick my shoes off. I'm not saying it's wrong to go on vacation, but please don't go on vacation from God. It never turns out. And so we get into this mentality, oh, these are my off hours. Look, it was in the off hours when David should have been at war that he saw Bathsheba. If that brother would have been where he should have been, maybe he wouldn't have gotten into the mess that he did. And so it's in our downtime. It's in our off moments. 
It's in those times and when we're like, look, unstructured time. When we don't have a purpose. Idleness. That the devil comes in and fills that vacuum. We need to not only have a good defense, we need to have a good offense as well. We need to have a place that we go that is our favorite. Do you have a place in your mind that you like to go that is your favorite place to be? For most of us, it's probably our phone. Any downtime at Walmart, standing in the checkout line, what do we do? We flip out our phone. It's amazing what's taking place. Well, that favorite place that we love to go in our minds, it should be Jesus. Amen? Now, there's an experience in the book of Deuteronomy. Open your Bibles here to the book of Deuteronomy. It's called the Shema. Every faithful Jew would wake up in the morning in Hebrew tradition and say the Shema. And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's familiar. Jesus quotes it in the New Testament. If I can find it, pages stuck together here. Here it is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Here are the words of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. What does that look like? Verse 6, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. Shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. How do you know if you love God? When you wake up, you think about God. When you go through your day, you think about God. When you're sitting down, you think about God. Any spare moment you have, you think about God. Before you go to bed at night, you think about God. Ellen White says in the books, Patriarchs and Prophets, that's how Enoch walked with God. And notice, this is, this should be as frontless between your eyes. This is the sealing process, settling into the truth intellectually and spiritually. Thinking about God all day long. That's the tape that we should be running. A number of years ago, when I was in college, I took a class that terrified me. It's called homiletics. Freshman. I went to Heartland back in the day. Don't let this baby face fool you. It was 1995. And no, I didn't start school at six. And so there it was, homiletics, freshman year, terrified. We had to get in front of the whole school and give a 10-minute sermon. And so in preparation for this homiletics, which was going to be reviewed by all the class, all my classmates that were going to have to fill out these evaluations, and then I was going to have to watch the video with my professor. And so there I was, preparing for this homiletics debut as a theology student freshman year. And in preparation for this, I listened 
to a tape, and it was a tape, by Charles Bradford, the late North American Division president. Now, let me tell you about black preaching. I wish I had the elocution and the eloquence to preach like that. Mm. Just the crafting of words. In my estimation, there is nothing that is even the same league as black preaching. And so I would listen to this man in the morning, at noon, at night, day after day, for months. And I got up to give my homiletic sermon, and I thought it went pretty good. And I got down from the podium, and one of my African-American friends turned to me and said, David, you sounded like a brother. <laughs> and I turned to him and I said, what do you mean, a brother in Christ? <laughs> Later, I sat down with my professor, put in the VHS, he clicked play, and I sat there, and it was the most surreal experience, because I was watching an Asian man <laughs> preach like a black man. It just didn't fit very well. By beholding, I had become changed. <laughs> Imagination leads to transformation. Visualization changes us. And we become like Jesus by thinking about Jesus in our imagination. Listen to this quote, Ellen White, Desire of Ages, page 83. It would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should pay, take it point by point. Let the imagination grasp each scene. In the afternoon, I'll be doing a seminar on how to study the Bible in your personal devotions, and we'll be talking about the power of imagination. Imagination is right brain thinking, not left brain. Left brain is analysis, the engineers. It's the is the cerebral, the conceptual side of our brain. And we need to use both sides of our brain when we read Scripture. But right brain thinking is imagination. And she says when we read the text, not only we do we need to do analysis, but we need to capture it with our imagination based on the text. Why is that important? Because imagination hits the heart. She says, if we do this, our love will be quickened and we shall be more deeply imbued with His Spirit. We should imagine Jesus in our thinking. Thinking about Jesus should be our most favorite thought. Ellen White says, like the flower that turns to the sun, we should turn to God in our thoughts. Joshua 1.8, 
This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night. How many of you today want to ask God to give you victory over your thoughts? Amen? Amen? Are you tired of thinking things that you should never be thinking? Are you, would you be ashamed if today we were to flash all of your thoughts from this past week on the screen? Would you blush with embarrassment? Well, it doesn't have to be like that. Because the Bible says that God can give us victory over our thoughts to bring every thought into the obedience of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, forgive us for our thoughts. Forgive us for buying into the lie that we can just think it but not do it. Help us to realize that our thoughts are an open book before you. Help us to surrender every thought to the obedience of Jesus Christ. We claim the promise that it is God that works in us both to win the do of your good pleasure. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.